The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you've got your copies of God's Word, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. May I say a moment uh, again of a deep appreciation for the opportunity that began, I guess it's been about 15 uh, years ago, when the elders um, said, you know, Pastor, why don't you take a three-week time of renewal and rest and study? And so that three-week study sabbatical, missing the two Sundays in between those three weeks, began, and it has been of wonderful and estimable value uh, for me, and I want to thank them and you for allowing that, uh, and, and so that I could focus on some study and writing and ministry projects. So, uh, and uh, and this, but it's always so much better to be home, uh, and this just the gratefulness I have to serve the Lord here with you. Uh, if you look with me in First John in chapter four, now one of the things that's abundantly clear in the Bible, and so these things should not take us. This morning I min- I mentioned that we are in a. Uh, there's two things that I mentioned this morning that I'd like to reaffirm tonight. Uh, that I think are important to uh, not lose sight of. Uh, Number one, while it has been with us since the garden, we have an intensification and acceptance and embracing of a culture of self today. Uh, The modern self, as one writer has called it, it's triumph in our midst, that it now triumphs over everything. Uh, It's all about me. It all depends on me. It's all for me. And any religion that is out there has to be about me. And that is, and that therefore, because of the progressive culture of self in the secular world, uh, there is matching to it a progressive religion, a progressive Christianity that is very much accommodated to and reflecting this focus upon the self. And so with that, um, with that in mind, and, and, and the reality that when you look in the Bible, uh, first of all, it seems as if when we look in church history, about every 500 years comes some very significant shaking uh, in the kingdom of God and in the church itself. Secondly, in the normal course, there seems to be every 40 to 80 years, local churches and denominations and ministries face their demise after their existence for 40 to 80 years. And unless godly leadership steps in, they almost always dissipate and disappear. So we see that in the Bible. Secondly, thirdly, we're warned in the Bible that the uh, that there is the beast of the land. Uh, I'm sorry, the beast of the seal with sea, which is authoritarian government and the culture it produces, and it is supported by the beast of the land, which is the false religion of the day, which exists using the terms of true religion. 
you ever go take a look at that beast, it has the picture of a lamb with horns. But the reality is it is a beast um, that is subservient to the beast of the sea in order to support it and to be accepted by it. So with all of those things in mind, as you put them there, what we face today should not be unusual as well as the warning of Scripture that we're to always be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing, that we are always to be aware of the doctrine of demons that will intensify in the last days. So all of that deserves its own treatment. But with that backdrop and then where we are today, the fact, the second thing I said this morning was that we are in, because of all of that, we are in a season of shifting and sifting and sorting. Uh, I think Christians are there. I think the testing of who is in Christ and who is not in Christ is becoming more and more evident. I mean, how many... How many times are we going to pick up the paper and read again another quote-unquote Christian celebrity has now said, well, I think I don't believe this evangelical Christianity anymore. Well, that's happened, but it's certainly happening with great rapidity. But I want you to notice something. If you read those, and I I realize I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes here, but if you read those quote-unquote, confessions of apostasy. It's not a traditional apostasy that they now say, I deny the faith. It's I'm re-evaluating the faith. I am reconsidering what I've been told is true. May I give you another word for that? I am deconstructing my Christianity to reconstruct it in something different. I want you to remember that word, deconstruction. The reason you're seeing that in the quote-unquote celebrities, which may reveal they never knew Christ, may reveal they're in a difficult time in their walk with Christ and need to be challenged, may reveal various things, but the reason that's there is because most of them are found in churches that are deconstructing the faith. Thus, the pupil becomes like the teacher. And they begin to deconstruct the faith as well. Now, if you will, with all of these warnings and with all of these statements in the Scripture that bring us to a moment like this, if you'll look with me in 1 John chapter 4, John also joins this chorus to give us warning of not only in the last days, but throughout the days from Christ's ascension. We need to be aware of this. Therefore, as believers, we are to be discerning what church we're a part of, what teachers we listen to. And here's the way John says it in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. In other words, in your teachableness, do not be gullible. In your learning posture, be discerning. That's what he's saying. Do not believe every spirit. When someone stands up to speak, what is it that is guiding them, empowering them, leading them? What is the spirit of their ministry? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Is this the Holy Spirit or the spirit of demonic doctrine that is being taught? 
So what is this that is being said to you? Why? For, notice, this isn't a unique issue. This isn't a novel issue. This is a regular issue. Many false prophets and teachers have gone out into the world. Now, how is it when I test? What is my test? Well, by this, you know the Spirit of God. That is, the Spirit of God. How do you know when the Spirit of God is motivating the individual and, and is guiding them into what they are saying uh, that is faithful to the God of glory? Well, you, this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. They will be Christ-centered, and they will affirm Christ's incarnation and its purpose. Now, why was Jesus born? We are told in the Bible, the Son of Man, in fact, John says this in 1 John. He says, the Son of Man has appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the evil one. Paul tells us that for this, uh, we are confident of this very thing, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In other words, if the Spirit of God is leading the individual who is preaching and teaching, they will be Christ-centered and gospel-saturated, that Jesus came to save us from their sins. If that's not there, if something else is animating their teaching, then they're not of the Spirit of God at the core. Does that match up with the Apostle Paul? I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Does that match up with James who points us to the sufficiency of Christ in forgiveness and redemption and transformation? Does it match up with Peter that every one of us will suffer for Christ's sake to some form or fashion and to be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you, that the Lord himself is guiding you, that you do this to honor him? So here it is a, when the Spirit of God is there, you don't look for a laughing revival. You don't look for miracles, although God does miracles. What you look for is, there, is are they making much of Jesus? And are they proclaiming the reason Jesus came in the flesh, which is to save us from our sins, rescue us from the power of the evil one, to build his church? Jesus said, I have come to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He has given himself for his church and to save sinners from the penalty and power of their sin. That's what you're looking for. That's the test that you're examining. And then he says this, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus, well, they're not from God. That is, if they're not Christ-centered, gospel-saturated, exalting the glory of the Father by the power of the Spirit through the preeminence of Christ and the prominence of the gospel, then in fact, that is not of the Lord. Don't listen, because what you listen to is what you become. The pupil becomes like the teacher. The servants like those who are their masters. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, do you notice we fully... Now, listen to me carefully. As I have said, there are believers who, in a period of weakness, can get caught up 
in doctrinal statements of wolves' clothing. I think Peter did that in the book in the in the book of Galatians. It's revealed he began to preach another gospel underneath the pressure of those who had come into his life. And Paul confronts him. And by the way, he repents, as you can see from First and Second Peter. So I fully realize that there are people, I'm not speaking of people in moments of weakness with sheep and wolves clothing. It's still wolves clothing. It's got to be confronted as the doctrine of demons. But yet we're trying to rescue the person uh, and, and find out where they are. And we begin with a judgment of charity. Yet as we're doing that and realize that there are people from there, we've got to realize that ultimately in the overall framework of the preaching and teaching of God's word, it's either for Christ or against Christ. Is this for Christ or is it against Christ? If it's for Christ, it will be faithful to the Word of God in text and in context. I know, I know for 40-something years I've been challenged in my preaching in the area of introductions and reviews, and the reason why is this great fear I have that people do not hear God's Word in context. You can make the Bible through wrong interpretation and pretext you can make it say what you want it to say. That does not mean the Bible says it. It means the interpreter has what the Bible calls twisted, arrested the Scriptures. Every text has got its context, and it must be rooted in it. That's why he's, the Bible tells the teachers, study to show yourself approved, O man of God, rightly or literally, cutting straight, the Word of God. In other words, when you've taken a text like this morning, verses 19 and 20, you've lifted it up, you've turned it to all of its facets. It, when you finish, it's got to fit right back. You didn't expand it beyond what it means, and you didn't shrink it. You, it fits right back into its context. Well, what you will find is that when people do it out of context, they either end up against Christ, or they end up uh, proclaiming the preeminence of Christ. So the Spirit of God pr produces those who declare the preeminence of Christ in His gospel work, and those who are against the Lord, though they, then they preach against Christ. And then what else does He say to us? He says this. He says, He says, uh, you all, he says, test the spirit. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. People say to me, do you believe the Antichrist is close? No, I don't think he's close. I think he's here. I think he's been here. <laughs> now, is there a the Antichrist at the end? Well, that's a wonderful biblical discussion. But I'm telling you, Christ, Christ warned the people Beginning in this generation, there are going to be false prophets who are anti-Christ-centered gospel preaching. And that will be with you all the way to the end. You're not going to have a season where all the preachers line up with Jesus. There are going to be false preachers. There are going to be those led by the demonic spirits of this age, and they are going to preach against Christ. Come, they are coming. If, until Christ comes, they're going to be with us. And when Christ left, They've been with us all along. They are here. So you need to be aware of them. And then he says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. Do you see something there? Don't miss this. 
you see the note of triumph. Not triumphalism, but you'd see the note that grace is greater than sin. That we walk in the triumph of Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so when that preaching is having its effect, they put no confidence in the flesh, but there is confidence in Christ, and we cannot be separated. There are no charges against us. There are no, um, there's no condemnation that stands against us, and, the, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, that Christ is at work in our life, and Christ is doing His work. So here is little children. Here's what he says to you. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are for God and you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Not only has your Savior won the victory, but the Spirit of God is relentless and unstoppable in your life as he is at work in you. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. They, that is the false prophets and teachers in the world, they are from the world. They're not just in the world. You're in the world, but you're not from the world. You're from the Lord. They are in the world, and they are from the world, the system of rebellion against God. And ultimately, what a frightening statement. The world listens to them. That is a frightening statement. Not only what, who you listen to and what you listen to will ultimately, will ultimately form and frame you, but who you listen to and what you listen to reveals your heart, what you want to listen to, and who you want to listen to. Paul put it this way, they will accrue false teachers who will tickle their ears. That's what those who are in the world want, is false teachers. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. The believer has a hunger for the true preaching and teaching of God's Word. Doesn't mean they don't make mistakes along the way. Doesn't mean a book doesn't capture them because it grabs hold of something for a season. I understand that. None of us are infallible in our growth in grace. Sometimes we make bad decisions, but ultimately we realize this doesn't bear witness with the Spirit of God. This is not faithful to the Word of God. And so we, they listen to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, when I read that, and those who are, those who are of God listen to us, and those who are not of God listen, uh, do not listen to us, then uh, you may look at that, and you may sit there with your wonderfully logically consistent mind and say, well, my goodness, that means nobody ever, nobody ever gets saved if people who, <laughs> if people who don't if people who are not of God don't listen to those who have been sent by God, then how's anybody going to get saved? Here's how. 
God doesn't get people to listen to true teaching in order to get them. God gets people, and when he gets them, they start wanting to hear God's word. I'm such a living example of this. You have no idea the, the extent I went to to never hear a sermon in my life. As soon as I got free from home, I did, you, there's no way you're going to get me into a preaching service and into a worship service. Why? Because my heart wasn't with the Lord. And then I got there. Then I heard the word of God. Then I came to Christ. What happened? It wasn't the preacher that changed me. It was God that changed me through the preaching. And then I went home and read my entire New Testament that night. Then I started looking up who's coming to preach and calling people. Should I listen to this person or not? What changed? It wasn't I had more time on my hands. It was my heart changed. Eyes to see and ears to hear. God gets a hold of his people. And the evidence is they love to hear his word preached faithfully to the glory of the Father in the preeminence of Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. Well, when that happens, guess what? Lots of things happen. Take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Here's a good sermon. And you, you know that this preacher was faithful to Jesus since it was Jesus doing the preaching. Matthew chapter 7. Look with me down to verse 15. Here's the warning. Why does Paul warn? Why does James warn? Why does Peter warn? Why do the writers, the prophets, and the apostles warn us about false prophets? Because Jesus warned us. He warns us in Matthew 24, many false prophets are going to come. But now he warns in this opening sermon of his ministry in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Have you ever wondered where Paul got that phrase when he said to the, church, to the elders at Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Lord has made you overseers. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock which the Lord has made you overseers. For upon my departure... Savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock, but will teach twisted things and draw the disciples after themselves. And that's exactly what happened to the church at Ephesus to the degree that he had to send his best, most trusted disciple on a ministry of church revitalization with a handbook on church revitalization called First Timothy, the book of First Timothy. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They don't come high, neon lights, false prophet, false prophet, false prophet, false prophet. No, no. They come with deceitful, disguised ministries. Again, nothing's changed since the garden. Satan came with deceptive words, has God said. Then deceptive lies, then disguised, 
as a serpent. And he comes to draw the people of God away through ravenous wolves who stand in sheep's clothing. But now watch. You will recognize them by their fruits. Where whatever is in the root will come up the chute and be seen in the fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus also puts it this way. Wisdom will be vindicated by her children. The positive side is you want to see when somebody preaching the wisdom of God from the word of God, then you will see the fruit. Will they have a perfect ministry? No, certainly not. But there will be the fruit that is Christ honoring, Christ exalting, God glorifying, spirit, uh, spirit honoring instead of spirit grieving. That's what you look for. That's what you're attempting to find. It is not what tickles my ear, but what is faithful to the Word of God and is feeding my heart. Even when my heart is not ready for it, they still bring God's Word to my heart. They don't preach for my applause. Therefore, they don't stop when I frown. They are faithful to bring the truth of God's Word in love to my heart. That's the positive side. The negative side is false prophets produce uh, bad fruit. If the root's not good, then the shoot won't be good, and that means the fruit will be bad, ultimately and finally. Let me uh, try to uh, illustrate this. I'm going to try to illustrate this for you. Now, um, one of the things that you need to understand is that most of the time, false preachers don't start anything. They come in and live off of what's there. So immediately, sometimes you don't see the bad fruit from their ministry because the church is still producing good fruit from the previous ministry. So that can take place. There's still li- we, some of you businessmen and women call it living off of uh, borrowed capital. The church is living off of borrowed capital. And thankfully, so many times when churches are getting a false ministry, still producing some good fruit from the previous ministry, they begin to see something's wrong and they attempt to reach out and hopefully do so in a biblical fashion, not like the world. No, we don't deal with issues like this in a worldly manner, but in the way the Bible prescribes it. It's called Matthew 18. You go to the individual, you take one or two, and then you tell it to the church, and then the elders shepherd us through those issues, and we are patient with the process. But the fact is, is there is a response that is there. But having said that, overall, over a certain period of time, 
My guess is this is usually around three years. I, that is pure speculation. I have nothing, no verse in the Bible for you on that. That's just my speculation. I tell men in the ministry so many times, please don't give up in the first three to five years. Because I think it takes three to five years. I've had the great privilege to follow Dr. Barker here and uh, thankful so much to to be able to have ministered in the same flock. And, and, but I remember that, uh, you know, Frank said, when I came, he said, there's going to be a few challenges here, son. Okay. So here we go. And there were a few challenges. I'll never forget at the five-year mark of my anniversary, one of the elders here said to me, said, Pastor, um, guess what? What? We're going to have, uh, there's going to be a Boy Scout meeting, and I want you to go speak to the Boy Scouts. I don't get invitations from them now, but I did back then. And I said, oh, wonderful. I'll be glad to go do that. He said, I'll pick you up. And so he picked me up and took me to a, a, a restaurant here. And as I went, I, um, I noticed one of my elders hiding behind a bush. What is he doing? And then I walked into the door, and there was over 200 men, elders and deacons from this church that were there, and there was a big sign, alive after five. And I realized this was a party. What I didn't know is, is it a going-away party, or is it a home-going party? I wasn't sure of that yet. But I try to tell young ministers, listen, stay with it. That three to five to seven year mark is crucial. But if I can flip it, I can also flip it that in three to five years, you begin to get an accurate assessment of someone's ministry and the fruit of that ministry. It begins to come through. I have no Bible verses. I'm just telling you that from my examination of church history and in personal almost four decades of ministry. And so, uh, so you, the fruits will begin to be evident, and they will begin to be seen. Now, I have one more text of Scripture to lay the groundwork for the seven marks of progressive Christianity when a progressive Christian ministry is established in a local church. And this one, build, each one of these have built on the other. So I want you to go to one more with me. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This has been a misused text historically, but it's a very helpful text when understand, understood in its context. <clears throat> the church at Corinth had divisions within itself, and Paul is addressing those divisions. And as he's addressing them, he begins to give us an insight that I think is very important for uh, dealing with this issue of progressive Christianity as an adversarial gospel, ultimately, to biblical Christianity. And here is what he says in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. In other words, he's saying to the Corinthians, you ought to be mature in the spirit. You ought to be spiritual. You ought to be mature. 
but you're still carnal. You still, you're still like babes in Christ. There's a lot of the world still hanging on to you. Now, you do realize when you become a Christian, you don't become Mr. I got all the answers. Man, do you know one of the greatest mistakes we make in Christianity is a celebrity comes to Christ and we put them in positions to speak on the matters of the kingdom before they've ever been matured. In other words, their platform is based upon their notoriety apart from Christ, not their progress in Christ. Listen, I am all for such testimonies, but ultimately the positions of influence and instruction and leadership need to be reserved for maturity, not based upon what you were before you came to Christ, but what you are becoming in Christ. And what he's saying is, I've got a church full of people, you're still acting like babes. Look at all this worldly behavior. And dear brothers, please, let's don't let that happen here. Don't let the worldly approach to issues of polarization and chaos and confusion and, and man's anger, don't let that find root here. Don't let worldly behavior cling to us. That can't be there. And that's what was happening at Corinth. So they were having divisions not those that Paul would expect because of the truth, but these were divisions based upon personality and preferences. I'm a Paul. I'm a Peter. I'm of Apollos. And there was a party spirit that had led to divisiveness. <clears throat> and watch how he handles it. I fed you with milk. Here's what he says. Now watch. He says, you're acting like babes. Now, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Why? You were converted. So what do you do with babes? You start with milk. You don't start with steak. You start with milk. You know how you do with Christians? Milk, meat, and in between some mush. I mean, it's just the way you did with your babies, remember? Milk, okay, let's get some cereal. I still remember stirring up the cereal for my three children. If you will look at them, I stirred it up good. And so then they move to meat. And so there they are. They've got, they got milk. They got mush. They got meat. And then what happens? Well, now they're getting mature. So Paul says, I fed you with milk. I'm the church planter. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. Even now, you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. And while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? That's not fruit of the Spirit. That's deeds of the flesh. Don't masquerade it as Spirit-led behavior. That's not Spirit-led behavior. You're behaving in a fleshly or human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human that's what the world does. They line up behind celebrities, not us. What then is Apollos? He said, let me give you a biblical view of Apollos and Paul and Peter. Here's the biblical view. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants. Ministers. Servants. Through whom you believe. As the Lord assigned to each. 
Each one of us has their God-given ministry to mature you. But where, who do you line up for? The God of glory, not the servant. We're the servants, and each one of us have been gifted to do a certain thing in your life. And so as we have functioned, that doesn't mean you choose your allegiance and affections for us. You choose your allegiance and your affections for Christ while you give thanks to God for us. But you don't give what belongs to God to us. So he says, let me tell you about our ministry. I'm the church planter. I planted. Apollos, he followed me. He watered. But God gave the growth. God sent me, God sent Apollos, and God gave the growth through me, and God gave the growth through Apollos. That's where your focus and that's where your praise is. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages. We'll get our rewards when we get to be with the Lord. We'll get our wages then. We'll get our rewards when we go to be with him. We will receive wages according to our labor. And then he says, let me change metaphors. Let me go from an agrarian metaphor. I'm going to go now to a, um, to a construction metaphor. We are God's fellow workers. And then he goes back to the agrarian. You are God's field. And then he goes back to the construction you are God's building. So what happens in a true church? Now listen, get this. Please get it. I know you're sitting there. Harry, are we going to get to those seven? Okay, you found me out. No. This is all introduction. We're going to be on time tonight, but it's all introduction. That means you got to come back for the seven. And don't forget a word I've said tonight when you get back for the seven. But I'm about to set you up for the seven. I'm going to give you a word you're going to find in all seven marks of progressive Christianity. Now notice, the true workers, the true servants, the true builders of God whom he sent are constructing. They're being built up. They're growing. Do you see that? Construction. That's what you see. Now watch. What then? Uh, I, um, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, we're one. We're instruments of God, even though we got different ministries that he's designed for us. Each one will receive his labors according to, uh, wages according to his labor. We're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He's part of the apostles. He's doing foundation work. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I laid a foundation. You see, see, over here he watered. Over here he's laying a foundation. Over here he's planting. Over, I mean, I'm sorry. Over here he's planting and Apollos waters. Over here he's laying a foundation. Apollos is going to build on it. You see how he's using these metaphors? And then he says, um, he says that, uh, and someone else is building upon it. Let each 
one take care how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, and hay, and straw, each one's work will become evident. For the day, we've been listening to that, haven't we? The day, the day of judgment. The day will disclose our work as ministers. He's talking about ministers here. Ministers on that day will give an account for their ministries. And their ministries were either wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious jewels. They either built up or they were a facade. One of the two, and the day will reveal it. Christ will reveal what kind of ministry we had. And what does he say? Here's what he says. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Each one. Who's he talking about? Ministers. We're looking at ministers in this text. Each, what each one has done, the servants, the builders, the ones called of God to work on the building, his building, to work on the field, each one's work will be manifest, what he has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he gets a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, you've got some people that are saved that have bad ministries. They're not all wolves. Some of them, though, have not been faithful in ministry. Some of them are wolves. Some of them are Christians. They're saved, but their ministries have no reward. Why? It was wood, hay, and stubble. Instead of building up, edifying, equipping. Ephesians 4, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as pastors, uh, evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to the building up of the body of Christ. God's ministries overall, in terms of assessment, are constructive, building up God's glory through his people. Those ministries against him are deconstructive. There's your word. False Christianity, whether it was liberal Christianity in the previous century or progressive Christianity, may be conducted by wolves and may be conducted by misguided ministers. But here's how you identify false Christianity, false professing Christianity, it will be deconstructive, not constructive. And I'm going to give you seven marks of deconstruction, and that'll be next week. Now, I had planned this. I have two more Sundays. The last Sunday is the constructive mission, message, and ministry of biblical Christianity. But this Sunday and next Sunday, first the groundwork and the, and the foundation of these three texts that tell you you need to test what's being preached and taught. 
Is it of the Spirit of God to the preeminence of Christ, saturated with the gospel to the glory of the Father, faithful to the Word of God? If it is, you can see it in the fruit. And the fruit will be the overall assessment that Paul calls gold, silver, and precious jewels. When you put the fire to gold, silver, and precious jewels, it just makes it shine brighter. When you put the fire of judgment against wood, hay, and stubble, it's gone. It's burned up. Deconstructive ministry of progressive Christianity has seven marks, and I'm going to share it with you. But I'll close in prayer on time, and I want to close in prayer with you, but let me just try to put it this way. You have no idea how many phone calls and emails I get every week where progressive Christianity is following the same pattern as liberal Christianity. That's why I don't even like to call it progressive because I think it's regressive. I think it's liberal Christianity with the same motivation and the same mission. Its theological aberrations are different, but they're still there because the motivation and the mission will eventually, will eventually adulterate the message. But when the message gets adulterated, there will be the fruit of unfaithfulness in the teaching. It leaves tracks, just like godly ministry leaves tracks of people coming to Christ and growing in grace. Unfaithful ministry leaves tracks of wood, hay, and stubble. Deconstruction. Right now, every Lord's Day, there's three different locations that are populated by scores and scores of people that are right now streaming our services trying to find a pastor. They were all in churches, four, five hundred, healthy, growing. And, and um, pastors came in embracing progressive Christianity. And three and five years later, there's just a remnant. And those who love the Lord, their voice has been shut down and they're out. They didn't want to go out, but they had to go out, actually asked to go out in all three cases. And I can multiply that. This progressive Christianity is not a matter of just personality differences. I believe it is deconstructing the mission, the message, and the ministries of the church. And I want to give you the seven marks of it next Sunday night so that you can look at it and understand it. But first of all, I wanted to lay the groundwork. This is something that's not new. I believe the sifting and shifting is more intense than any time I've ever encountered in my entire Christian life and in my ministry. But it's not new. And the Bible tells us, gives us the markers to look for, for those who are led by the Spirit, those whom God has sent. And it also gives you what they are what the fruit of their ministry to varying degrees, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, there will be the fruit that will be constructive. People coming to Christ, missionaries being sent, churches being plant, planted, small groups being developed, people growing in great. Those are the things that are there. The only thing getting torn down is sin and 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 every false speculation raised up against the obedience to Christ and his word. That's what alone is torn down. 
But in, pro- in progressive Christianity, like liberal Christianity, which has utterly decimated the mainline Protestant church, now is decimating evangelical churches. It is one parasitic. It starts nothing. It lives off of things until it destroys them. Secondly, it deconstructs. And thirdly, it diminishes all of the ministries of the church and diminishes the joy of the people. So I want to lay those seven marks out for you last, next week. You cannot forget a single word I said this, today so that I don't have to do any review next week because it'll take our whole 40 minutes to get through, um, to get through those seven marks next week. So uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to do one sermon in two parts. Part one is done. Part two, see you next Lord's Day evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to be in that word. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to serve you. I do pray that, God, you would continue to give your people here at Briarwood not a critical spirit, but a discerning spirit. Give them the Berean life, eager to learn, but examining the Scriptures to see, are these things so? And then help us, Father, understand the marks of the current, of the current framework and form of unbiblical Christianity masquerading as biblical Christianity. Yet give us hearts that realize not all who have embraced it are wolves. Some are misguided ministers who in their frustration or their downtime have been drawn to something that seems as if it's got, it's got the, uh, the, the vitality they've looked for. Please help them to be discerning. Stay the course. Help us to win them. And then, Father, those who are wolves, help us expose them. Oh, God, our God, be exalted, I pray, in your church. Oh, how I thank you for what we say. Your church, your radiant bride. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.